0: If you, some of you watched me this morning, you can see I'm not a very happy man or relaxed man. I've worked out, I've spoken from a pulpit in a Bible study group about a thousand times in my life. And yet, this is the most anxious talk I'm currently doing. As Louise is looking forward to night, she might get a decent night's sleep. Because I've disturbed her the last two or three nights. Not because I was waking up, because I was asleep. Because this has troubled me, this talk, because in putting it together... I'm at ease because I know what I'm going to say, because my my subject is, what lies ahead? And we're doing Thessalonians, and we're into the end times. Now, I'm not quite into the end times, I'm just warning you about the end times. As I've said many times from this pulpit over the last three or four years, I feel I'm living in a society in Britain where there's no awareness of God. People have no conscious awareness. And preparing for this talk, I've had to explore that. So what I've done this morning is, I've broken it down into five sections. The end is near. The rise of the nuns, changing the narrative, a snake in the grass, head in the clouds. I actually have only one joke this morning. And that will be my wife's expense. I'm warning you now, but in a nice way. Because I want to think about this morning, it's like do you like watching murder stories you know you watch a two-hour program and at the beginning somebody gets murdered and they bring in the senior detective with his his team usually a detective chief inspector with a rather dopey sergeant and they've got to find out who did the murder and of course there's lots of suspicion lots of suspects lots of clues and false cues but within, within half an hour I've come to the conclusion my wife has a criminal mind Because she knows who the murderer is. And she announced it smugly. And I'm going, look at that man there. She said, why have you picked on him? Have you seen the way he walks? Look at his eyebrows. And And she's going, look at the cute. Now, Louise, I think as a teenager, read Agatha Christie books. And she could solve every single one. What sort of mind can do that? And so, and of course, when he go through these programs, they go through and the, the, the chief inspector gets, goes the wrong person. And suddenly in the last five minutes, it dawns on him who the culprit, who the murderer is. And he's usually racing his car or running to avoid another death. And he gets him just as the man's about to plunge in the knife. And of course, he gets arrested, not the chief inspector, but the murderer. And really, he has to present all the facts. And this morning, I want to look at facts we have now in our society which warns us, that we are into the end times. Now, you may say, you're just being a conspiracy, theor- conspiracy theory. you creating conspiracies, whatever the phrase is. But I said, I go back to 1948. That's my point. That is when the Jews returned to Palestine. And that's the one the key indicators of the end times start. But I can't say to you today that um, it's going to come tomorrow. It's going to come next year. It could be a hundred years. And yet... When I look at today's society, I start to recognize plans are being set. And as I've said, I've said for a couple of years now, I'm living in this country where people have no awareness of God. I have started looking at the evidence around me today. Not from the Bible, I'll bring that in to prove it, but evidence of how the society is changing. And as one commentator said, said this week, I read, a secular commentator People, the majority, don't agree with what's happening in this country, but have no say or ability to change where it's going. So the end is near. And of course, what does that mean? Um, For me, I'm in the last quarter of my life. Um, Now, some people think we can live to 120, 150 years um, I don't know well. If, if Louise and I lived to 100 years each, we would have done 80 years of marriage. I just don't think, don't think she wants to suffer that long, does she really? It's not fair on her. But the fact is, you know, man wants to live forever. And yet, come with me to 1 Thessalonians, because we're doing the book, this is my, my scriptures this morning. that has come up about, about what happens to those already dead and buried, we don't want you to be in the dark any longer. I know you've been worried about this. Um, first off, you must not carry on over like people who have nothing to look forward to, as if the grave were the last word. Since Jesus died and broke loose from the grave, God will most certainly bring back to life those who died with Jesus. And this idea that in those times, as John said last week, they thought Jesus was coming back that day. So they gave up their work, started doing things. But we're a bit more sober now, aren't we? I doubt if it's on your mind that is Jesus suddenly going to come. A few years back, there was a guy in the States who forecast the end coming was coming on a particular Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. And Malcolm and I and and John were taking the mickey out of this. And so at 4 o'clock... Mark Malcolm texts, "Are you still here?" And I just text about, "Oh, I thought I couldn't see you," <laughs> because and it, it, it didn't happen because the Bible is quite clear. We don't know when, but actually, there are many things in life today that worry us. When I was younger, as a young as a, having a young family, could I keep my job? I lost my job two or three times in redundancies, and then moving on into other things. Could we afford... Were well, my kids going to grow up okay? Were well, they going to turn out like their mother or turn out like me? Fortunately, they turned out like Louise. And such like. And now we've got grandkids, I worry all the more because society is changing. But there is that fear in us. Well, how long am I going to live? The very first funeral I did was a, month, a man from... Uh, the husband of a wife in, in Jelly Tots. And I had the phone call on Friday morning from Ruth, room and say, Barry, can you come to church? this lady's husband has died the weekend and I came up and the story was that they'd been camping I think down the New Forest, had two kids, they'd put the kids to bed and she was just doing the washing up, the husband said I'll get ready for bed and open the curtains got into bed, she turned around two minutes later and he was dead she still comes to Jelly Tots, I still talk to her about those days and she says to me, I've still not met a man like my husband and this is my church, she says. And when I went did the funeral, There were all these, and he was 30 years all these men who were 30 had their white shirts on, black ties, black suits. All the guys in the 70s and 80s had on check jackets that didn't match their shirt because for them, death was every other day of their friends dying. And yet the fear of death sits with us. I don't know about you, as I'm getting older, I'm now conscious of it. But it says in this scripture, in Psalm 139, My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And I know when I was going through my cancer, the idea that God said, I know your days, was the greatest comfort to me. I even said to Louise afterwards, if I die tomorrow, I'm okay with it. She didn't seem to be quite so okay with that, but in a sense of that security we have in these unknown times. And I want to talk to you about where the church is today and where the English British society is. And I want to show you some statistics. Because I want to look at the rise of the nuns or the rise of the nuns, not women in habits. I want you to realise this. In the census, they ask a question, What is your religion? You don't have to answer it. And this last sentence, 46.2% said, I'm a Christian. It was 59% 10 years ago. That's a 20% drop. And I did a the calculation on this. In Harlow, that means about 30 to 35,000 people identified to being a Christian in the town of Harlow. Isn't that incredible? But why do only two, 3,000 actually come to church? Muslims, they've grown from 4.9 to 6.5 percent. The Jews have stayed the same, they'll never change. The other religions have all declined. Buddhists, Sikhs, Hindus, they've all declined. But people could write none. 37 percent wrote none as religion. They actually wrote in none. An increase of 50 percent. Another 7 percent chose not to answer. So when you put those non's not answered together you get 44.3 percent that's only one or two percent below Christians. There's a rise. This is all from the government's figures. Now look at this. For all my career I was a statistician and a process man. I love stats. Louise knows I love statistics. I say where's the context? Here's the context of this. The average age in England and Wales is 40 years old. This is the one they know that. Christians, an average age of 51 years old. Muslims, 27 years old. The nuns, 32 years old. If you go back to 2011, the average age for Christians were 45. So in the last 10 years, we got older. In fact, there's even a worse statistic hidden there. Of those 51 years, one third of them, of us, are over 65. That is quite a frightening statistic. And just two weeks ago, Justin Welby did a fantastic talk in Ghana. I don't know if you, you listened to it or watched it. This is what he says. Mr. Welby said that when he was approached by Christians who feared that Islam would take over Europe, he told them the greater danger is poised by a growing number of atheists who refer to as nones. I mean those who, when asked about their faith, say, none, I have no faith. He went on to say, in the Europe and in many parts of of the UK and Europe, the majority of people now belong to no faith at all, he said. They're not Christians, they're not Muslims, they're not pagans, they're not Jews, they are not Hindus, they do not belong. The Archbishop also appeared critical of movements towards greater bodily autonomy and assisted suicide. We are in a completely different culture in the financial richer world to where we were 30 years ago, he carried on. We've replaced morality and Christian faith with personal control over our bodies birth will genetically design babies is not far away. And death is something that so many believe we have the right to choose in the way and at the time we want. He added, modern European global north morality is a morality for the wealthy, the powerful and the intellectually well-educated. It is a morality that does not believe in human sinfulness and failure. It does not believe in forgiveness. It does not believe in hope. This is where the church struggles. And if you've been following the news, you may, Nicholas Sturgeon has resigned. You're aware of that? And now they're looking for a replacement. And three contenders have come up. One man is a Muslim. One man has no faith. But Kate Forbes is an Evangelical Christian. And she she says publicly, and still states, the fact is she would not support homosexual marriage. And she went on to other things. One of the senior MP, uh, senior members of the SNP did a tweet on Twitter on Friday. She said this: hit back at this person, hit back at the party leadership contender on Twitter, saying, "Allowing religion to dictate how to vote on policy is a display of intolerance." Hurt, originating with statements from Kate Forbes, has made and since stood by. I, like most people in Scotland, could not care less about someone's religion. I don't know how your Latin is. Anybody learnt Latin? Well, Epiricus, he was around 300 years before Jesus was born. Although it's Greek, this is, he worked in Rome, and this was on his um, gravestone. And if you go around Rome, you'll find this on many gravestones. And as you can read it, the implication of what it says: I was not. I was. I am not. I do not care. I was not. I wasn't born, I was, I've been born, I was not, I'm dead, and I don't care. If you go to humorous funerals, they will be saying that. And we live in this changing culture, where people don't care about religion. And what they're doing is, they are changing the narrative. They're changing words. And what they're doing, they're putting forward an argument and changing the historical narrative to make it appear reasonable. I'll give you an example. Marriage. As John said last week in Genesis chapter 2, a man and woman will leave their parents and become one. And a man, heterosexual marriage between a man and a woman. And now we have homosexual marriage. I don't call it gay marriage. In fact, this week I read that they're going back to the books of the the five and all the rest for the 1920s which used the word gay in terms of happy and changed in the words because it might lead, lead to misinterpretation and of course we have homosexual marriage and I can remember about ten years ago I had to speak on marriage on a Sunday morning and it was during the time that this was all going through and I sat with Robert Halford and he told me his views is that he said I've never had such sleepless nights I'm Jewish and going th- and the attacks I've had from the public to me And it struck me that the narrative is being changed, that it is the norm. For example, you know what adultery is? A man, a husband will go off and have sex with a woman, adultery. Or the wife will go and have sex with a man, adultery is a legal term, that's it. So if you've got two homosexual men and one man goes off and has an affair with another man, it is not adultery. And it's interesting, these things are in the Bible and the things we're changing are the core of our laws and our Bible. Because if adultery is not applicable to homosexual couples, you've got to change the narrative. You would have thought, change the law. That would be the op- No, they don't. They take adultery off the list of a reason for divorce. You could just say you want to divorce. They change the narrative to make it acceptable. And don't get me onto gender fluidity. You know, it's all been going on, what is? And this really baffles me. I'm sure if I asked you around the room, what is a man and what is a woman, you could tell me. You could even draw pictures, I'm sure. You could t- I think you all pretty clear on it. And yet, I listened to a senior deputy leader of a major uh, party when I was asked this question, and the reply was, it's too complex to say what a man and woman is. Men, I know women are complex, but I wouldn't go to the point of saying... And, it's, and I read this commentator said a couple of weeks ago, he said, he said, you can mutilate a man's body to make him look like a woman, but there's one thing you cannot change is his DNA. Those laws and rules which God put in place cannot be changed. And you've seen the confusion in the SMP recently. But it's not just there. The Leader of the Parliament in Wales, Drake, has said he wants to have the same rules in place, you can change. Keir Starmer has come out this last two weeks, he said, I want to see we can just you can change. And Then I saw a man on television, he, was, he said, and he was asked by another comment, I understand you're, you're a fisherman. No, I'm a fisher them. Changing the language. You may say, well it's not that serious Barry. Well it is from my point of view because, I apologise to teachers here if I get this wrong, But there's an inclination to drive this into children, to teach them about these things as the norm. The danger is, when they get older, they become the noms who drive society. And the more I've looked at this, I just go, Lord, I'm glad I'm in the last part of my life because I just don't know what to think. And Psalm 8 verse 4 says this, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? And you suddenly think, well, why is this happening? It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 5, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days People be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, then rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. That's the end times. But can you not see echoes? I'm sure people say, well, it's been down for generations. But suddenly it's changing. People say to me when I challenge something well that's my version of truth. Those principles of which I brought up with based upon even though I came from a non-Christian family were there in people. Now morality is something that doesn't exist in the sense because if you don't have a religious linking even if you're Muslims you are taught about morality you are taught about good and evil it's taught to you by your parents but if that is now not the norm anymore you suddenly realize generations will end up like this and when the detective is trying to work out who the murderer is he'll go it's the what the when and the how and they all start saying it's the sergeant's the constable said no he says you work out the motive and then we can work out who the murderer is what is the motive for all these changes? It's all about the snake in the grass. Come with me to 2 Corinthians. And what's interesting, there are so many passages about the end times. It's not until you start linking together. You realise the consistency of what God is saying. In 1 Cor- 2 Corinthians 11 says this, I hope you will put up with me in the little foolishness, says Paul. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to Him. When I said I had to do this talk, I talk on marriage, and I said to God, I'm going to have to talk about homosexuality, and God said, "It's nothing to do with homosexuality. Think what marriage is in my laws and creeds, says God. It's about the family unity of raising children, but moreover, it's the visual aid of my Christ, the groom, with the church as the bride. I promise you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the snake's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. It's the syndrome of the frog. You put a frog into boiling water, he jumps out immediately. You put a a frog into cold water, put that on the stove and heat it up the frog doesn't realize what's happening until it's too late and he passes on and there's almost a sense here the motive is to destroy God's church it says in Peter be alert and sober mind your enemy Devil prowls around like the roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power and the glory forever and ever. Come back to me to that verse. The enemy, the devil, prowls round like a roaring lion. I don't know how you are in your Hebrew, but in the Old Testament there's many references to the Spirit of God. Most of them are in the female. For the Jews, they liken God to be the father, and the Spirit perhaps to be the mother. That's the way they sometimes think. But there's one, a couple of passages where the Spirit of God is, is uh, imagined like a lioness defending its cubs. And he talks about this lioness will defend the cubs. And if you watch the nature programs, it will defend its cubs, her cubs, even against a male lion. When a new male lion takes over the pride, the first thing he does is kills all the cubs. So he impregnates the lionesses with his own seed. And you have this picture here. The devil is like a roaring male lion that wants to kill you and me, spiritually. If I looked for a mass murderer as a detective, this is him. This is his motive, is to kill you and me, spiritually. They can't kill you, maim you. In battle, I was taught by some soldiers I used to work with, it is better to injure the enemy rather than kill them. I said, what do you mean? He said, because when you kill them, they leave them on the ground. But when you injure them, two men came on with stretchers, two men have to guard, you take five soldiers off the field. And the devil's job is to injure you because then you can't serve God you can't do the things that make you spiritually weak but the Spirit of God is described like a lioness it would defend she would defend her cubs to the end the Spirit of God defends us the problem in my last point we perhaps have our head in the clouds this is great you know we're praising God we have to be aware. I want to read you the last verses in my passage in Thessalonians, in chapter 5. But friends, you are not in the dark. So how could you be taken off guard by any of this? How can it be a surprise you what's going in your society? Your sons of light, daughters of the day, we live under wide open skies and know where we stand. So let's not sleepwalk through life like others, those others. Let's keep our eyes open and be smart. People that sleep at night and get drunk at night, but not us. Since we're creatures of the day, let's act like it. Walk out into the daylight, sober, dressed up in faith, love in the hope of salvation. God didn't set us up for an angry rejection but for salvation by our Master, Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, a death that triggered life. Whether we're awake with the living or asleep with the dead, we're alive with him. So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so that you'll all be together in this. No one left out, no one left behind. I know you're already doing this, just keep on doing it. I've discharged my duty. I said to God last night, I'm not saying any of this. And my knuckles were roundly wrapped. But I'm scared. Because I see a decline in church. That is is, forty six percent Went down 20% in 11 years, 10 years. If it declines more, we're less. And you can see the church splitting the Church of England. We need to be praying for Christian leaders. A fact I'll tell you, there are less demons there now than there was when Jesus was born because he's cast them into the pit. The population of the world has grown dramatically. So the devil has to be strategic where he deploys his demons. Attack the church leaders. Bring them down, you'll bring down the church. And you see that in the States and here. Attack the church leaders. Make their life a misery, says the devil. Pray for us. Pray for your friends here. Because the devil is a roaring lion looking to devalue. But when I look at my society, I weep. When I saw the SNP, what was going on, it so saddened me that we are now changing the the narrative. We can't even say what a man and woman is. We're saying to young children, Oh, just a minute, do you want to be a boy? Whether that's in the schools, I don't know. But that's the impression one gets going on. We're pushing down. I have a genuine belief that one of the key things that will accelerate God coming back is people bringing down the lives of young children. In the Bible, a boy became a man at the age of 13. And every dad went, thank you Lord, it's no longer my responsibility. That's the, that's the age they thought when they become aware of sin, become aware of things. But now we're teaching children things at a younger age and when you're told right or wrong suddenly you have a responsibility to obey it because you know what's right and wrong and therefore are we not edging, educating young children what is wrong what is sinful it is a different world I can sleep well tonight I hope and I pray that Louise does because I'm anxious about my country I'm anxious about my politicians. I'm anxious there's no moral voices anymore. There's no Christian leaders that can stand up and just grab people by the collar and say, will you wake up to what God is saying? Will you wake up and change? I fear for my grandchildren. I fear for my children. I actually fear for myself as a Christian in this country. When I became a full-time leader 12 years ago, I asked for the, two, the, the two, three councilmen to come and visit me in the back room. Only two came. And it was the time of homosexual marriage going through. And we talked and I said about what can I pray for you for? I said nothing. I said, just to say, it's only a question of time before I get put into prison being a church leader. And these two looked at me and said, what do you want about, Mr. Wells? Why would you go to prison? I said, because my views and what the government is now pushing through and you're saying as parties is that I'm in contradiction to that. And that will not be accepted. That hasn't happened, as you know. I've not been put in prison. But you do think... My words today are not acceptable. When I was converted in my late teens, to be a Christian was, I was respected. Well, because I was respected, because as a Christian I was respected. But I was seen as a solid member of community. Now, I'm a minority. My views are just wacky and weird. When I talk about praising a living God, I'm scorned and scoffed at and yet I will not let my Lord's name be taken in vain. And it's his battles. Yes, I don't know when the end times are coming, but we need to be alert to what's going on. Yes, I can't change what the people say. All I can do is pray. When, when Phil Gray comes back, you in Barbados, ask him about schools work. Ask him what it's like going into schools. He knows all the legislation. Uh they are these are worrying times so we need to encourage one another and pray let's have a word of prayer Lord genuinely I'm glad I finished you can see my emotion Lord my anger at what I see but Lord in wisdom father let these people ignore what's not of you but Lord let us keep our antennas up for what's happening in our society the changes that are going on let's be aware of our role with our children and our grandchildren. Let us be the morality police. Let us be the ones who point them to Jesus. Teach them your ways, but not by what we say, by what we do. Lord, it's not too late to save this nation. But Lord, if young people don't come into the church, Lord, then we would die out. Lord, give us that motivation. Stir us, Father. Kick us, urge us, cajole us. Discipline us, Father that we need to be lights for you in a very black and darkened world. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Barry. We're going